This is the chapter by chapter life class with Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And uh, I am Kevin Evans officiating the, the uh, random about discussion. Um, it, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to collect my thoughts here. We are in chapter 10 of Acts. And last week we got as far as verse... 23. And at this point, uh, Cornelius has uh, had his vision and called for Peter. Cornelius being a Roman uh, centurion, actually, in the Roman army, a lower level officer in charge of a unit of 100 men. And uh, he's living in Caesarea, which is the Roman port on the Mediterranean that is directly facing uh, Jerusalem. And as the Romans came into Jerusalem, they would have come in through Caesarea because that's where the major entry was. And there were at least two legions of Romans that were permanently stationed there. And we're looking at at least the, you know, the population of a medium-sized city. Uh, there, there's 10,000 Romans, maybe, based upon what we know about the size of those units. So uh, this was a very Roman city and um, under Roman control. Just down the coast, we've got Joppa, which is a, uh, a Jewish port, which is pretty much run by merchants at the time and uh, a much less Roman presence. And, uh, you know, if you're smuggling something to Spain, you want to go through Joppa and not Caesarea. It's, it's, that's the decision. Anyway. Uh, that also has been prominent in the story. So Peter has been called to Joppa where he, um, uh, miracles happened and then uh, he became famous. And so the centurion in Caesarea has called for him. And, and before he, get, uh, he shows up, God gives Peter a vision of a bunch of unclean animals in a sheet and presenting them to him to eat. Peter protested, and God said, don't make things clean that I have made, and, or whatever the exact quote was. And so Peter immediately wakes up and meets the messengers from the Gentile up in the Roman city that any smart Jew avoids. And so the message here is not so much eat more duck, it's Gentiles are people too and are worthy of salvation. Well, it actually shows two things here that he, he, man's equality, that God was trying to show him that they are equals. Did that, I just say that? I think I just, <laughs> I just also, said that. But it also shows Peter's prejudice. His uh, race, his true. Race, his true. Racism. As I was about to say, um, yeah, I think there is a little bit of elitism uh, in Peter's soul, for sure, and I think probably culturally among Jews. Jews have been told from the beginning that they were God's chosen people, which implies that everybody else isn't, you know, and so, and they are to remain a separate people, which means that there's something wrong with all those others, and uh, when they came into the Holy Land, they destroyed all of the occupants that were in the Holy Land, which would imply that God likes them better than them. 
You know? Yes, fair, true, true, fair. Uh, but my point is, I think there is a certain amount of prejudicial elitism in Judaism, period. But then, to be fair, that can be said of every people group in the world ever. Is that why it is such a terrible thing when a person converts from Judaism to Christianity? Why is that a terrible thing? Well, you know, we had that, that man that came to our Sunday school class and taught that time and talked about all the grief that he was going through because he was, he was converted from Judaism to Christianity. But doesn't it happen when a Christian converts to something else? There's grief too. Yes. <laughs> Human beings are tribal and we fear the other, to quote various sociologists. Um, we uh, take care of our own and we, to the exclusion of other people, and naturally you want to think that your own is better than everybody else's. I'm going to look after my family before I look after yours. I'll look after yours before I look after somebody I don't know. You know, I, I think that's a fair arrangement. Um, you know, and, and so the, G, Peter has to get past that, and it's not just Peter, all of Christianity all of the Jewish church is going to have to get past that and we're about to see that happening in the next couple of chapters. You thought that Jesus' example that he set the Gentiles were okay. Peter would have known that because he was with Jesus when Jesus was ministering to the Gentiles. Well, Jesus, That's a fair point. But, but Jesus gave us a lot of examples we don't follow still even to the day. Such as what? Love your enemy, pray for your enemy. Uh, Love your enemy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, before we start saying, hey, they didn't watch Jesus' example, I need to look in the mirror first. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of examples Jesus gave me that I have a hard time following because of my... Log in the eyes. And yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, it just... And this is a huge radical change. This is it suddenly is. saying, this is the Messiah. This is new, and now we're accepting Gentiles. Remember, they were taught all their lives not to accept the Gentiles and just to say, now accept the Gentiles. And so Peter, to his credit, has this one big dream up on the roof. And he steps down and immediately is faced with these messengers. And he responds. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very hard-headed. I think if I were in this position, I would have to be slapped around several times before I changed my mind. You know? I'll do it. Hmm? God, will, it, do God will do it. <laughs> and I have to say, God has done it. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not the best of disciples. I require a stern stick. Sometimes you just need to be the first time and slap it around. I'll take the stick and then I'll say, yes, sir. You know, once I get there, I'm just a little, I'm a little deaf. You know. So was Peter responding that way because of the vision, the dream that he had just had? I think so. And, and making the association that I think so. Okay. Um, That's good. Uh, I, I don't know that we're necessarily talking about food. I think he was talking about food. I don't think God cares what we eat as long as we know. But uh, it, that really wasn't the point. It was it was about opening yeah. the message up to Jerusalem. Uh, I mean, to Gentiles. Gentiles. Okay. Another thing that might have helped the dream is the fact that he said, and the men are standing downstairs waiting on you. Yep. That may have helped convince him that this really was real.
invited them into the house for the night, which was a very big deal to invite a Gentile to sleep inside of a Jewish's house, a Jew's house, because they're considered to be unclean, and it goes against not Mosaic law, but rabbinical law, and it was uh, frowned on strongly, which brings us to verse 23, and uh, I want to tackle this, and we've got, this is one long section that finishes up chapter 10. The next day, uh, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. I read in one, I think it says six brothers at some point or another. I forget where that comes from. Uh, the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. So it's, a, it's, a, it's 30 miles up the road, so this is a hard day's walk. Uh, if they were on donkeys, it would have been a full day's walk. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. So you don't worship Peter, you worship God. Talking with him, Peter went inside. So he goes inside the home of a Gentile and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. So, stopping there, uh, Cornelius is Roman, and he is a believer, but he is used to multiple polytheistic worship. And it's very common to bow before the priest I don't know that he's necessarily saying that Peter is godlike, but he's showing him honor in kind of the Roman way. And uh, also, he did get visited by an angel and told him he was coming. So this was kind of a big deal, you know. So Peter makes him stand up because he's just a guy. And the first time I read this when I was about 16, I thought Peter was just incredibly snobby. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large group. You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with you, but, you know, here I am slumming it. You know, that's how it felt. Yeah, there's no snobby preacher that way. <laughs> Perhaps my perception was colored by my experience at that time. Do you, know, yes. you think maybe he was a little resentful of the fact that God was saying that there's equality between Jews and you know, I, I doubt resentful is the word that I would use there, but this was something new. And he was, I don't think he was being snotty at this point. I think he was being, he was explaining his presence. Because it was very different for him to be standing where he was standing. But he says, God has revealed to me that this is where I need to be. So, what's up? You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't know what to happen next. His vision was to go here, and so here he is. And so, now what? 
So he's being he's being obedient. Uh, that didn't come up, did it? <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, yeah. So, 34. Then Peter began to speak. So he starts preaching. Realize how true it is that God does, does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. That's kind of new. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened without throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and now he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses who God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Jesus, I mean Peter, basically gives a summary sermon of Christianity and what Christ is all about. And I think a lot of these points they already know. These are converting Romans who have been studying Judaism. So they kind of get the whole Messiah thing and they're following Jewish custom to a degree here. You know, because we know that he was praying in the third hour and stuff like that, which would be a Jewish thing. There's also a snag going to come up. There's a snag that comes up? Yeah, about the circumcision. Well, what an interesting choice of words. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know what I meant was they don't, they don't believe it. <coughs> anyway, never mind. Yes. I knew what you meant, Bill. I knew what you meant. That was just for Chris. Anyway. More than a snag. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Uh, 44. While Peter was still speaking... These words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. He was just preaching a regular old message, and then the Holy Spirit comes down, and everybody falls out and starts speaking in tongues and messes up the whole. And then it's a runaway service, and people are running around in circles around the building. Yeah, me too. Okay, uh, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. Weird. For well, they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Could you read, can I read 45, verse 45 out of my Bible? <sighs> Why is your Bible so it says, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the Holy Spirit. That's what mine says, basically. So they're already kind of questioning. Well, I think that Peter took witnesses for a reason. I think there were a reason that they were there. Peter didn't go to Caesarea by himself. He had an entourage of Jewish believers with him 
And so he came in and preached to these guys. And, and you know, I wouldn't want to walk into a massive fortress of Romans alone either, you know, even if I were invited. Even if, even if God told you to go? Yes, even if I was. I, I don't think that God telling you to do something means that you shouldn't take basic precautions and pack a bag, you know? I mean... What if God had told you to go alone? Then I'd go alone. You'll be nervous still. Yeah. <laughs> sure, evidently there's a point to it then. But I think Peter is showing wisdom because he's about to do things that are against Jewish custom. And he knows that. He may be doing a few things against Jewish law because God told him to. Now, if you do that, you kind of need witnesses to make sure that you're doing what they know that you're doing what God wanted you to do, that they are with you in this decision. If he comes back and has to justify himself to the rest of the Jewish Christian church, which, by the way, the entire next chapter is him justifying himself to the Jewish Christian church, then he needs substantiation for everything that he claims. So don't, don't necessarily take the word of one person and take the miracle happened and there's no witnesses to it. Right. somebody a saint because of the miracles or something They're like everything that. done by witnesses but now here's a, here's a question why if Peter saw all this why was there always such a contention between him and Paul about the circumcision what well if, if no, 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 I know what you're talking about I put that under the fact that he's surrounding, he doesn't want, hey, I'm here, these people are against those people, I don't want them mad at me, so it, I thought it wasn't, it wasn't against the changing of the law, it's what we all, I, I had a client not too long ago who was talking, you know, and I'm not going to talk about the topic here to talk about, they were, he was kind of showing, he was hanging out with this group that he kind of disagreed with what they were saying, and I said, well, why are you with them? He said, well, I don't want them mad at me. That, I think it's more about peer pressure in Galatians than about them disagreeing with Paul about the legality. Paul called him out on his hypocrisy, saying, I know what you believe, but you're not acting like it. It's not a disagreeing doctrine. It's a disagree. Peter was giving him a peer pressure, I think. Because he was hanging out with the ones that were Judaizers. Hey, yeah. they, they were the people of influence, which were all subject to do. And that's where the money's coming from, which totally makes sense, actually. So, yeah. So you compromise your ministry and you compromise yourself to get along with the people. And that happens yes. every day. <laughs> I, once again, I go back, I think Peter gets a really bad rap. <laughs> I'm not saying he was right in this, but he's still human, too. And he, it was a mistake when Paul called him out on it. And they probably reconciled about a silence, but I don't think this was this bitter feud between Peter and Paul throughout eternity. They're having arguing about it still. I think that people disagree in the church, but our Christianity is supposed to go above that. You can call people out. Yeah, I've called people out. People call me out. I knew of in a, love. 
I knew of a deacon in a church that uh, had a disagreement with the pastor and, call, and called him, asked him to step out in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Texas. <laughs> and I was just, I, and I was just now coming back into church, and it was kind of like, whoa. <laughs> Because I, I always heard that you're not supposed to stand, you know, you're not supposed to touch a hair on God's anointed or, you know. But can I look at verse 45 again when it says they were amazed? That doesn't necessarily mean they were all, oh my, can't you be amazed and go, wow, this is really happening. I mean, they're speaking in tongues too. Wow, can't amazement be a positive amazement? Does not necessarily mean that, oh my goodness, we're not accepting this, they're Gentiles. We're astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they are the speaking in tongues. So the town reprobate comes to church one night and goes down and he gets healed immediately. Isn't that still astonishment or amazement? And it's true? Can it be a positive? Wow, man, this God can do anything. Okay, I guess we'll give them a little bit of credit. All right. It's taking a while, but I'm maybe getting better. Just pay your seed offerings and you Okay. <laughs> wow. I could, never mind. Okay. Um, then Peter said, can anybody keep these people from being baptized with water? Who do you think he was talking to? He wasn't talking to the people he was about to baptize. He's talking to his six companions. Yeah. You got to get the tank filled. Warm it up. Yeah. So, so he's turning around to his own guys and saying, okay, God is at work here. You see it with your own eyes. So shouldn't we be baptizing them at this point? Because that's what we would be doing if these were Jewish people. My Bible says. What does your Bible say? It's got American background. Well, that makes it better. Surely no one can I think that means the same thing, well, I, doesn't I'm it? I'm saying it's that kind of, it's, it's not a, well, should we? No, I'm saying surely not that can do this. That's baptizing. No, no, thank you. <laughs> so he pulls the other six into it, and, and by baptizing them, they're becoming Christian, they're making a public profession of their faith. Were these believers before he, Peter showed up? They were praying to God and to the point that an angel recognizes them, but he's got, Peter's got to come in and preach to them. They were, I think, on the Do they have to be baptized? I mean, do they have to be baptized in the spirit to be a believer? I mean, God does regardless. There you go. So they, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they asked, and then, then Peter hung around for a while because that's what he always does after the beating. And preached to 10,000 more people that weren't recorded in the story. It's a big story. It is. Okay. Um, oh, wow. I don't have notes for chapter 11, and we have 20 minutes left. How did that happen? Uh, how about we read the first segment that goes down to verse 18? And I did study it a bit, just not enough to crack the notes down. And uh, we'll, we'll lay off about chapter 19 and we'll pick it up there next time.
of verse 19. Verse 19. So, uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 1 in the NIV. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So then Peter went up to Jerusalem. The circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? <gasps> Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. And then he retells the entire chapter 10 again. As the scribe who's copying this book, I would be mumbling to myself at this point because... We're covering the same ground, which I think is interesting. There's a reason that he's covering the same ground. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet uh, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven. This is the same dream we just had in the last chapter. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. There's where the number comes from. He told us how we had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you, uh, you and all your household will be saved. So they weren't saved before. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as they had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord said, had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When he, they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Does it seem strange that there was no objection You know as well as I do that thoroughly and completely proving your point does not win over your audience. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. And then there may have been some yes men in there, you know. But I mean, Maybe their passive aggressive is where they totally agree with everything you say, and as soon as you leave, they break off and form another well, church. They quieted. Okay, if it was just they quieted it down, I can see that point. But listen, okay, they heard this. They quieted down and glorified God. I mean, they glorified God. I mean, if you're really saying yes, but you don't agree with it, do you really glorify God? You kind of got a holy heart. It was a holy. Well, there you go. Now, were there some who still... I quiet down a lot when I don't agree with it. Do you glorify God? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's your answer. That's my answer. It's kind of like, like what's going on in Israel right now with the mosque. Do it's, tell! That goes all the way back 4,000 years ago to Sarah and her 
her slave woman that she where it became two nations, you know. Don't go too far. <laughs> no, I'm just okay. saying. It goes back. I mean, you had the promised children, and then you had the outcast, and that's kind of what they're thinking. They're calling the Gentiles the outcasts, you know. But, but in some moments, you know, I've been in some places where there's disagreement, and when it's worked out among Christian brothers and sisters in love and a, a good atmosphere, it does happen. And people go, praise the Lord, we agree with that. Yeah, okay, okay. And it's the Holy Spirit. I think it's the Holy Spirit thing. When you let, when you let, when you let the Holy Spirit, when you let the Holy Spirit be in charge, people yeah. can come together. And I think that's the key. You let the Holy Spirit guide it, people come together. If it's more about fleshly disagreement and style. You have the other church. You have, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, who's to say that this wasn't just the Holy Spirit? And they go, Brother, we're, Peter, we're confused about this. And I know y'all all, all seen it where deacons pretty much try to take over the church and try to withstand the pastor <laughs> and it turns into a free-for-all. They've all seen it. What are you talking about? <laughs> but I mean, just to go, he came over and like, <laughs> Because a lot of things done in church politics is done by the flesh. Then it separates and divides. Holy Spirit won't, won't let it go that way if it's led by the Holy Spirit. I'm Pentecostal, but I'm Greek and Holy Spirit. <laughs> Can't argue with you, man. No, I, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think God uses, God guides us with the Holy Spirit. I think God occasionally has to step in and at least lead our free will in order to accomplish what God's out we to accomplish. We have to be obedient to that. We do have to be obedient. I think there are other times when we're not obedient, when we are embroiled in all of our fleshly wisdom, and we don't follow God's will at all, and God will use our crankiness to his glory and his purpose. And I think ugly people doing ugly things ultimately accomplish God's goal. I think everything goes, turning into a Marvel movie, but everything goes to that particular final point at the end that God's already seen. So you're right, and so is my father, in that, you know, the story I've told a thousand times, when Baptists fight each other and church split, well, you're just spreading the gospel, aren't you? You know, with angry, self-righteous, self-important people spreading the gospel to somewhere else. It's also the missing piece of, like, we want them to follow us. We want their hearts, too. Like, that's just... Doesn't that happen yeah, eventually also? He wants everyone to be saved. Not everyone's going to be saved. But, I mean, if it was just completely, like, everything we wanted to happen, then they would be saved. But if a bunch of ugliness puts somebody who's a believer in the middle of a bunch of other people who aren't a believer and gives them an opportunity to witness, can't God use God that? God that well, but he also wants us to be unified in the Holy Spirit, too. And 
it's going to happen one way or the other. It's a lot easier for the church if everybody follows the Holy Spirit instead of the Can God use our mistakes? Yes. Fair. He prefers us to be obedient, though, and get it accomplished. I guess God has more faith in humanity than I do. <laughs> well, it's not about faith in humanity. God knows us, too. Hmm. He knows, he knows that, I think this goes back to Bill's point about it's not predestined about salvation. When we talk about predestined, we're talking about salvation. God determines you're going to be set without for as well. That's another subject. God knows the decision you're making 10 trillion years ago in eternity or whatever. He knows Kevin Evans is making yes. a decision on that day. So he said, this is how it's going to formulate. And God's not a time person like yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's eternal. He's beyond time. So we're getting too thousand years is this well, well we're too highfalutin right now talking right now it's just if you don't understand god's way of knowing the future for knowledge and things like that and his decisions it's not like oh kevin's going to do this so now i got to figure out what i got to do god knows but he's god we're we're trying to make we're trying to find god by our own understanding of man yes we're giving him man stuff like well god he woke up today and he i've heard preachers say well, god woke up today and he thought why are we making God man-like? Yeah. That he's that he's limited by time. He's not. He knows. He knew I was going to get April Night Coffee today from racetrack. And he knew that. I think if he did step into time in, let's say, prophecy with Thomas, he's good enough and big enough to make promises, like to keep his promises. You guys are saying the truth. But, but he also knows we're going to be honorary, rebellious children too and he can he's so powerful all knowing he knows the way I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of myself I'm making a human characteristic he knows how to work his way around it but there's no working a way around it. does that make sense we're trying to explain an eternal God that we have our brains can't comprehend how he does things but and, and the more we try to define it the more we mess it up hold on um, yes God is eternal and God is a triune God, and these are concepts that we really can't fit into our little human brains. At the same time, God made us to be companions to himself. He wants to relate to us. We are designed to respond to him. Yes, I would say that. But the thing is, and instead of seeing God as this immense, all-powerful deity, he wants to, well, he is, but he wants us to see him as a father. Okay, okay, There's a relationship thing here. And that's what he allows through his word and things we can understand. understand. But that in and of itself is an anthro more possession. It is, it's God relating to us in a specific relationship that we understand. Within our capabilities. Yes. Because we can't understand otherwise. So as we anthropomorphize Where did you learn that one? It's, it's, it's a new one. Um, <laughs> he was waiting for someone to do this so he could show it off. <laughs> you know what the word means? I do, giving human characteristics to non-human objects and things. Um, the essence of a lot of storytelling, actually. Uh, fairy tales are all anthropomorphized ideas that we teach children 
by telling these stories. God, Jesus used stories. I mean, All I think. Yes. And, and, I, and I don't have a problem with that. I'm talking about trying to understand the essence behind him and everything. Yes, okay. he does that for us to understand a God. I'm your heavenly father. Those are terms you can understand. But that still doesn't, he does that, proving my point. We can't understand God in his fullness. But I think trying to, attempting to, to understand God in his fullness, in his supernatural, omnipotent, all-powerful, beyond-us form, is is a fool's errand. We can't do that, and we can't relate to that. Job himself said, I can't do this in his own way. Uh, yeah, but the thing is, we God became Christ so that we can have that relationship. That is when he came down to the time thing, but as Jesus Christ, too. But I think, too, there's, like, there's, there's obviously a level of understanding that he wants us to have because he gave us his word. So the truth about God is we sometimes beyond our comprehension, but it's never against reason. And I agree with that 100%. But, I mean, everything we, you know, our brains can't fathom the full God. And what he did, he gave us his work. Everything we need to know from God to make a human life can be found here. Well, here's the thing. You think about the children of Israel. When God brought them to the place and they said, okay, you're going to go in and kill all these women, men, women, children, and everything. You're going to slaughter them. I mean, what do you think their thinking was then when God was telling them to do that? I think they liked it. I think they were sharpening their swords. I mean, you know, is that that sounds awful. That's what Israel is doing with Hamas right now. Which again, that goes back four thousand years to Hannah and Sarah. That, that shows you they kind of messed up a little bit there. I'm getting problem. harder and harder and harder in that conflict. The uh, <laughs> and we have all, and I didn't realize, you know, we I'm uncomfortably settled on on where I need to be. Um. <laughs> the Palestinians, okay, I, I'm, 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 they're going to march in my home. Um, the Palestinians are, 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 they're approaching this with religious fervor. They want to completely destroy all of Israel. In the, in the, over the last 50 years, there have been four different proposals to create a two-state solution, which the Israel has been completely for, which surprises me. And the Palestinians have completely rejected. The only all thing that the Palestinians, yeah, all of them, the only thing the Palestinians want to do is to drive the Israelis into the sea, quote, unquote. Die or learn to swim, quote, unquote. That is, that is their sole objectives. They are moving people into Gaza, which is not a very fun place to live, in mass, specifically to fight with Israel. All of those civilians that everybody's complaining about are there as militants. Everyone? Yes. Children? Yes. They're slaughtering Jewish children. I, I understand I, I, the reaction. I am not going to judge Jew, the Jewish response in Hamas. And I, I really don't understand the world's take on this. You know, the, the media is confusing me. Well, all these of course they're reacting. 
all these people protesting wanting Israel to be destroyed. There, there isn't any compromise. If you, if you could compromise and have a two-state solution, then we'd fix it and it would be over. We could have peace in the Middle East if all sides were willing to come to the table. All sides are not willing to come to the table. And it's not our side that's resisting. Well, they've also got Lebanon and Syria now that are coming against Israel. But do you notice that this is a cycle that will continue? We kill the children and then we, we get the war against them. They kill our children. But understand, it's, it's human nature. It's the cycle that will continue. We keep thinking, we wipe out all these people, suddenly they're going to be on our side. That does not work. The solution is Jesus Christ. This is all fair. fair. I agree. This is all playing out towards the end time stuff that we learned about in Revelation to where all the nations are turning on Israel. Mm. Now, when you hear, I don't know, because I am really pro Israel, but I'm seeing, you always have to learn from all perspectives. Okay, can you? <laughs> Israel said, go south to the civilians. Civilians went south. They hit the south with bombs. It doesn't make you look good. I don't care how you say it, that doesn't make you look good. When you say, civilians, go there because we're attacking here. When the civilians go there, you bomb there. There's no way to explain. There's no way to say we're right. You just told them to go there for safety. And I don't know there. what you're referring to. But several weeks ago, they, they were saying, okay, we're attacking here. If you're a civilian, you're not part of this, leave the town. They told them to leave. They, that was in the news. The know. hospital that they're now claiming that Hamas blew up no, and no, said no, that no. Israel's blew up? No, 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 no. At the beginning, before this really got up, they said, we want all innocent civilians. We're going to give you this time before we do our ground campaign to leave. Yeah, yeah. To go south. Some of the citizens went south. They bombed the south. You're not going to look good no. PR-wise doing that. Am I right about that? I'm pro-Israel. That's a point. I'm not sure of the incident, but that's a point. You know, I mean, don't do, don't tell them to go south and then bomb south. Okay, on this very controversial issue, <laughs> having resolved nothing, we're signing off because I'm running out of time. Uh, now I'm sounding like I'm pro Muslim. I'm not. Okay. I'm just saying, this is a tricky subject. I'm going to be honest, I am shocked at how many thousands of people here in America. We will pick up on verse 19 and we will continue to argue after I turn off the microphone. Goodbye.